This podcast is part of the Tremula Network, adventure and outdoor podcasts off the beaten track. To find out more, head to tremula.network or find us on socials. Seize Your Adventure is part of the Tremula Network, adventure and outdoor podcasts off the beaten track. It's kind of a love-hate relationship because it's it's fun. And if you go early in the morning, it's great because if the tide's gone out, the the sand is a lot more packed, so it's harder, so it's easier to run on. Mm. But it's really beautiful. And it, it's kind of a toss-up between being like, if I go first thing in the morning versus in the afternoon, it's beautiful either way, but definitely a lot harder to run on in the afternoon. Like once the sand's all dried out and you just sink right in mm. if you're wearing sneakers. And if you are wearing sneakers, taking your socks off later when you get home, it just sand rock everywhere. It's <laughs> love, hate, definitely love, hate. <laughs> Hello adventurers, I'm Fran Tarauskis and you are listening to Seize Your Adventure. As you just heard from that little snippet, this is going to be a fun episode. A couple of months back, I spoke to Amanda Plump, a runner with epilepsy who's based in Canada. Now in the last episode, she told us the story of how finding running helped her to reconnect with her body after years of living with epilepsy and how attending races around the world actually helped her to accept her diagnosis. If you haven't heard that story yet, I'm sure you do have a good reason, but do just head back one episode before you listen to this one. It will help things make more sense. I am not promising complete sense though. This episode was really hard to edit and that's not because of the sound quality or because of Amanda's answers, but purely because Amanda and I talked for literally hours and we went off on quite a few wild tangents, but I did want to make sure that what I gave to you was the information that you wanted and that we wanted to give rather than my ramblings about why half pints of beer are pretty awesome. So I'm excited for you to hear this and I won't make you wait much longer. I did just want to say that all of the stories and opinions in this episode are of course mine and Amanda's personal ones. There are some things that we do and some things that we speak about that we both admit can be risky. We are not, I repeat, not advocating for you to copy us. Everyone is responsible for their own individual decisions made with regards to adventure sports and medical conditions. Having said that, there are also some great bits of advice for runners with epilepsy and some information about how to limit the risks when you are running in races and when you're running alone. So here it is, my chat with a runner and, although she won't admit it, an athlete with epilepsy, Amanda Plump. So just to start us off, you mentioned in the story that you were diagnosed when you were about 14 with something called juvenile myoclonic epilepsy of Jans, which uh, even if you're familiar with epilepsy, seems like quite a lot of words there. <laughs> so can you just explain what that what that basically means? 
I believe that breaking it down is Jans was the person who first identified it in whenever, when it was first identified as a type of epilepsy. It meant predominantly myoclonic seizures, even though there were still tonoclonic, but the most of them would be myoclonic and is more common in teenagers who are experiencing it. And that's who's most often diagnosed with that type of epilepsy. Okay. And the myoclonic are the ones that you mentioned in the story where you get the the jerks, so arm movements, leg movements, and that kind of thing. Yeah, just they're smaller. They're very, very quick for me. Um, And they can be just one moment motion. I can sometimes hold on to what I'm grasping, whether it's a pen or a, a coffee mug. But sometimes it's if I'm running, it means I'll trip just because of the momentum. And you you don't actually have that official diagnosis anymore. You have a, a bit more of a broad diagnosis. Uh, but do you still experience the same kind of seizures? Yes, I do still have them. Um, they decided that it might have been prematurely prematurely diagnosed. And now my neurologist is trying to figure out what I actually might have with different testing, EEGs, MRIs, but I still have the myoclonic seizures as well as the tonoclonics. So that's something which you obviously have learned to live with since you were 14. And it was during university that you managed to move past the epilepsy label a little bit. So what, what during that time was the biggest change that meant that you could you could start living with it a little bit more? There, there really wasn't a change. I was just pushing through. I moved to a new city at that time and didn't have a lot of family and didn't have any friends who were from before. So if I chose not to tell anybody, I didn't have to acknowledge it because nobody would know. So it was, there wasn't a lot of change in university as far as the medication or the seizures. It just meant I could pretend it wasn't there. But you now have a blog about your epilepsy and you're obviously very confident talking about it to me and confident talking about it to more people. Um, Why did you decide to start the blog in particular? I started the blog after... I did a race in um, Anaheim and that was when I met a number of people who were there to support different groups. So I went to a support group when I got back to Calgary in Canada and I realized that sometimes there aren't a lot of people who are looking forward to their futures when they have medical conditions. I didn't really realize otherwise and I was kind of shocked by that that there was so little positive support so I wanted to share the details about the things that I was doing with running as an epileptic in the in the hopes that it might help someone start considering their options going forward yeah fantastic and Obviously, that's something which when you when you write about it, you write um, very clearly about the, the the positives and the negatives. So the things that you you can do and the stuff that sometimes is 
um affecting your your ability to to run yeah. as you would like the the seizures the myoclonic ones causing you to trip and that kind of thing um when you when you're talking to people in everyday life about epilepsy how do you approach those conversations now uh well certainly i start with clarifying that i'm not a medical professional but i don't mind bringing it up at any time and it's really amazing how many people do actually know someone with a seizure condition and people are impacted by that and by knowing someone and I like to provide that information to help others learn more about it it it's such a major part of my life and it always has been but now there's no point to me to leaving it out if I'm discussing running injuries work anything like that there's it's such a major facet of my life and I don't want to be ignoring it anymore. Hello there. My name is Cathy Kamleitner and I'm here to tell you about my podcast, Wild for Scotland. If you enjoy traveling, spending time outside, learning about nature or simply relaxing to a good story, check out Wild for Scotland and join me for inspiring journeys from the cobbled streets of Edinburgh to the sandy beaches of the Western Isles. We go on scenic road trips up and down the country, hop from island to island, immerse ourselves in Scottish history, culture and landscapes and meet passionate locals who love sharing their own little corners of Scotland. Think of it like story time for adults that inspires you to head out and learn about the world around you. So join me on the Wild for Scotland podcast. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. So very quickly, you you did say in the story that you when you went traveling and you went backpacking, you didn't at that time wear any kind of medical alert jewelry or anything like that. Do you wear that now or is it something which you just tend to to tell people face to face? I occasionally wear one now. Um, I'm not a great example for that. I do keep my medical information in my running waistband, in my purse if I go out and in my phone, but I don't particularly like bracelets in general, so I don't often wear them. So I should consider a tattoo, but no, I don't, I don't, I just mention it. I don't really wear anything to indicate it. Yeah, I think that is interesting because I have to say I'm I'm the same. I when I was hiking, I kept things in my bag and on my body, but I didn't wear anything. I've mm-hmm. only recently started wearing a bracelet, um, partly because I, I got it sent to me to try out, um, and it is a it is a good one. It does feel good, um, but there's there's definitely something about it where, for me anyway, I always feel like it. It's not necessarily a, a label that you're carrying around, but I suppose for me, I always wondered how much people would look for it. Yeah, I I just always think my seizures, depending on the length of time or when someone finds me, a bracelet that says epilepsy isn't really going to be very helpful um, if I'm unconscious on the pathway and somebody comes across my body. If they don't see the seizure, it's... I would hope they would call 911 if they came across me. 
just to call for an ambulance, but I'd be more at risk for a concussion if I was unconscious on the pathway rather than having had a seizure um, as a result. Yeah, that's a really good point because quite often, and and you spoke about this a little bit, you're getting the injuries from the seizures more than the seizures are actually necessarily affecting you. So you, you can recover from a seizure itself yeah. fairly quickly sometimes. But if you fall during the seizure, that can be a little bit more <laughs> hurting on your body. The um, the worst thing I think would be actually is if I if I fall, if I just have like a little myoclonic seizures and I trip, I usually scrape up my my knees from my kneecaps just to like the whole length of them. And it's painful, but it's not the end of the world. And if I'm bleeding, I can still run if I'm if I'm in training and I can usually just get up and keep going. The problem is, is that over the next few weeks when it starts to like heal and then crack again because I keep running and then it starts bleeding again and then it heals and then cracks. It's just such a process. It's so, you know, inconvenient. Yeah, that's making me remember sometimes when I was a teenager uh, and just clumsy, I think. Uh, definitely skidded, skidded my knees on some tarmac and that kind of thing a fair few times. And yeah, I remember that feeling. It's something you can work through, but it's it, like you say, a process you'd rather not work through sometimes. Oh, yeah. But I mean, I'm as much at risk of tripping and falling, like just over uneven sidewalks or roots or rocks or anything like that as anybody else so no matter what that that's a risk that anyone who goes outside I think has to take yeah absolutely um so I'm just gonna bring it back a little bit you said in your story something that many people with epilepsy but probably quite a few other chronic conditions as well feel sometimes which is that idea of being lost in your body not quite feeling like you're you're in control of it anymore I get the impression that the running obviously changed that for you was there a particular moment that that happened do you think well there's still times that I still feel this way because I I don't think that when you know you have a condition that you can ever feel completely comfortable and confident in knowing that you're you can commit or guarantee or not be afraid that the condition is going to express itself I guess I can push myself further beyond what I thought were my limits in a in a mental capacity while I'm running and I can push myself further beyond what my muscles did yesterday in a physical capacity and with the epilepsy, I can push myself further beyond fear and obligation and knowing that my body is still my body. Epilepsy is part of it, but it is still my body. Mm. I still have that capacity to challenge that. You, you obviously class yourself as an athlete now. 
and that's something that you didn't feel when you were <laughs> a kid. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, do do you think that there is a difference between being active and being an athlete, or do you think it's just it's just the way that we perceive it? Um, I still don't completely think I'm consider myself an athlete. That seems like such a great title, um, maybe athletic, but just an athlete seems so much more intense. Um, I do consider myself a runner when I think about how often I run and how often I'm looking forward to it when I'm not running. Uh, but I think being active is maybe any kind of movement of any sort. And so to be active is trying new things, whether it's a team sport or an independent climb or anything. And I think to be athletic is when you're kind of hooked on one thing in particular and you might try other things, but it always comes back to that obsession. Mm. But I feel like considering myself an athlete is a little too extreme. <laughs> <laughs> well, I consider you an athlete. Well, thank you. <laughs> I do like that distinction, though. I like that distinction. If it's something that you're so passionate about, you keep coming back to. You're an athlete at that sport, for sure. Yeah. And active can be just whatever suits your fancy that day. Yeah. Yeah. And whilst we're on the A words, I have to ask everyone this. So what is your definition of adventure? I would say um, an adventure is anything where we push our own boundaries. And whether that's a new brand new race or pursuing a personal best, going to a new country or region, um, anything where we might be unfamiliar with it and really excited for it. I love that idea of excitement. That's something that I haven't actually heard from anyone before, but that's so true. Adventure has to have that excitement in, doesn't it? Yeah. There's lots of things we're unfamiliar with, but to be unfamiliar and excited for it, I think I think that sounds like an adventure no matter what it is. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So um, in terms of the running then, now that you've been running for seven years, um, some of those runs might not feel quite as adventurous anymore. Um, how how often do you run in a regular week? And what what feels like the most adventurous runs that you do? I, I try to run four days a week. Um, I mix it up with weight training and going to the gym. That's fairly new because apparently that'll make me a better runner. Um, but I, I can guarantee I really, every time I'm at the gym, I'm thinking I would really like to be outside running right now. Um, I do add in yoga and I do intend to add in swimming, I hope, but I like to run at least four days a week. And the best runs are where I can get out of a, out of a city away from traffic. So something where I'm in the mountains or where I'm along an ocean. Um, beach running is amazing. While it's harder and my time is not going to be as good when I'm running, if I'm on the beach, it's that to me is amazing and one of my favorite things. Yeah. 
And you mentioned a couple of other styles of running. So you, you've done pretty much all of it from the sound of it. Um, one of them that you mentioned was was backwards running. So I think I've got an idea of that, um, but we don't really have backwards quite so much in the UK. So can you just explain <laughs> to us? <laughs> we just have woods. They're, they're not in the back of anything. Um, okay. so can you just explain to us um, what backwards running entails? Um, where that would be where there isn't a trail and you're just kind of finding your way over rocks and fallen trees and through bushes and whatever looks like you can fit through it and you might hear the sound of a waterfall or a river or creek and you might want to go towards that or away from that but there's nothing to mark the way and it's fun but there might not be anyone along for a while, if at all. Um, so not very safe alone. Mm. And do you have to use a particular form of navigation or is that just knowing the area? <laughs> uh, again, me as a bad example, I kind of just go out and hope for the best um, and hope that eventually I'll be able to find my way back. I try, I try to pick a lot in the general area of a river or some kind of geographic structure, whether it's like a cliffside or something where or the ocean it's on my left side, I can turn around and go back and it'll be on my right side and I'm going in the right direction. Yeah. But I, <laughs> I should learn to navigate. That's a great idea. <laughs> I think that um, in a way that is a form of navigation though. It's, there's one thing, one thing if you're trying to navigate towards something, but if you're just trying to not get lost, then yeah, it's, <laughs> it works <laughs> um what's your what's your aside from the beach running uh which uh, I have never tried actually I've never I've not been into running since I was last no the wrong way around I've not been to the beach since I started running properly so I've never really tried beach running um but it's kind of a love-hate relationship because it's it's fun and if you go early in the morning it's great because if the tide's gone out, the the sand is a lot more packed, so it's harder, so it's easier to run on. Mm. But it's really beautiful, and it, it's kind of a toss-up between being like, if I go first thing in the morning versus in the afternoon. It's beautiful either way, but definitely a lot harder to run on in the afternoon. Like once the sand's all dried out and you just sink right in mm. if you're wearing sneakers. And if you are wearing sneakers, taking your socks off later when you get home, it just sand rock everywhere. It's <laughs> love, hate, definitely love, hate. <laughs> Enjoy it whilst you're out there and not so much when you get back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's almost the opposite to most people's relationship with running. I think <laughs> you get yeah. that after run high. Um, oh Yeah. <laughs> tell us a little bit about the the races so you started off running just solo and just doing it on your lunch breaks uh which is something that I can very much relate to it's how how I started as well um you started doing races why did you do that and do you prefer the races to running solo now I think I started doing the races just because I wanted to see if I would be able to do those certain distances and 
in the case that I wasn't able to, in the case that something happened with my epilepsy, in the case that something happened with my simple clumsiness or an injury just because of trying to run a distance that I'm not ready for, I, re I started registering for races and I picked originally local races so that they were, you know, $15 and if I couldn't make it because I had a seizure or something happened, it wasn't the end of the world versus some of the races I've done now, which are upwards of $100 each. And I found that there's a very big difference between obviously training and racing. Running solo, I have all the time and space in the world. I can change my, my route, my pace, everything. But that means I also have to be prepared, whether that means carrying water, electrolytes, or bear spray if I'm in one of the parks. Races, on the other hand, everything is planned for the race. There are people along the route, including medical professionals. I don't have to worry about carrying any supplies, and I don't even have to think about where I'm actually going. There are people at every turn directing us and having a maps set out for us it's just me and the route and a couple thousand other people so I, I if I had to pick one I I do like running solo better but at the same time I like the ease and, and the safety that comes with racing do you have people do you have family and friends who show their worry about you or the the wonder why you do it oh absolutely everybody thinks I'm crazy um I get a combination of joking memes about me being a runner and my injuries um and the people who are actually really really worried but for the most part they know that they can't stop me from doing it I usually try to provide a rough timeline of how long I'll be gone and where I plan to go for that consideration, which is really a safe idea for solo runners generally anyways. So mm -hmm. just providing them the information. But yeah, my family and friends definitely worry about me and a combination of think I'm crazy and, you know, think the decision to go out by myself on my own is maybe not the best but it's I'm still gonna do it and they know that too yeah and um I suppose yeah I, I suppose that's all there really is to say I I agree with you I understand it so <laughs> it's difficult for me to I have to say this is one of those ones where I I I really try and explain it to people that that don't get it um, luckily I've had friends and family around me who even if they they don't do that kind of thing themselves they they do get it they understand me at least even if they don't understand what I do um, but is is there anything that you you would say or anything that you do say to people to ease their mind or to try and explain precisely I would usually say if people are afraid of me having seizures while running, I acknowledge that and I respect that. But in my perspective, if the seizure is going to happen, it'll happen whether I am in the shower or on a running trail. 
and I would absolutely prefer the trail rather than stay safe all the time. I would rather challenge what I can do and go further. And I mean, there are people who think running long distances is crazy just on its own with or without a medical condition. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I just let people know that, especially when it comes to the races, that's probably the easiest for them is because they know that there's going to be other people there. There's going to be medical professionals on the site that helps a lot too. And then, yeah, just giving a record of where I'm going to go and for how long approximately that kind of helps, but the seizure is going to happen. And whether it happens, if I'm in the shower or on a trail, I'd, I'd rather it be the trail. Yeah. And do you find with the organized races uh, well I suppose first off do you do you tell the organizers that you have epilepsy do you need to declare that or or choose to declare that sometimes they have it on the registration when you when you register for the races sometimes on the back of the racing bib you can fill it out and provide that information sometimes if there's nothing and at the last one that I did I did a half marathon last weekend um in may i didn't have anybody there with me there was nobody in um in victoria at that moment who was a possible emergency contact and they didn't have any space for that so i went and just chatted with the paramedics and told them just so you know i'm going to be in the race i'm sure you won't remember what i look like but <laughs> i have epilepsy and if you could not take me to a hospital i'd appreciate it but just so you know all my medical information is put any paperwork you have actually put anything you don't want all sweaty even if you have it in a vest um put it in a ziploc bag like in a plastic wrap for sure because like the like i had handwritten ones and i put them in a little sleeve like a little plastic sleeve thinking that would be enough and no it's the condensation is when you get into those really long distances um is disgusting I and imagine. I put my phone into when I have to wear a vest um if it's a long enough race that I need or a training run or whatever I put my my phone usually in two different ziploc bags just because it's gross because yeah. I mean it's stuck in a backpack and it's sweaty and yeah it's gross so write it down on the back of your bib mm. um I would say write all of your medications um what your condition is who your emergent like what i've got on my little card that goes in my running belt all the time is medications what time i take them at because if you end up in a hospital they aren't going to necessarily know what time your am medication is versus your pm medication is mm. um so i write that down um and who my emergency contacts are and I usually have a few even if some of them are out of not where I'm living or not where the race is or the training is it just it's a contact so worst case scenario if say my dad doesn't pick up the phone they can call my best friend in Calgary and she can suggest who else to call and they all know that so there's like five people on that list mm. You mentioned that you you carried on 
you carried on hiking and camping and it's obviously a very big part of Canadian life. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but for a lot of people, particularly in countries where it's it's not done as much, um, that still seems like a very impressive thing to do when you have epilepsy and where you have active seizures. So was there anything that you you did to accommodate that whilst you were hiking and camping? Not really. I mean, to get to a camping site, I generally would be with other people. So there would there would be individuals who are there who, in those cases, usually when you're not near a city, um, I would want I would let people know because, of course, in those cases, if something serious was to happen, I would need either them to do something. I'm not sure what. Probably just take me to a hospital, but they shouldn't they should know um i've camped in campgrounds where there were tons of other people like strangers lots of different sites lots of resources available and security measures like even like little ice cream shacks kind of thing too so there's been ones that are almost like a hotel camping but i've camped in where it's been on the edge of a mountain not like a crevasse but where the tent was set up overlooking a mountain range and forests way below we had deer walking by through our site and on that one I remember that so well because there was nobody else anywhere near us and it was amazing just to wake up in silence and see the sun start to hit the mountaintops and I was with someone and I had let him know about my condition and if there was anything that he needed to do luckily in that case nothing happened but it was stunning you just gorgeous sometimes there's ones that are times that are just more impressionable than others this sounds gorgeous You're making me very jealous you should come to Canada I will <laughs> <laughs> I will um so you um you obviously weren't telling people all the time that you had epilepsy but very occasionally if you, you 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 were still being safe in telling people when you felt you needed to essentially but basically there's times where you need to and times where I hate to say you don't need to but it's if you're in a public space where there's going to be medical available whether it's somebody else calling for paramedics for medical um, or somebody who's going to be able to take care of you versus where you're in the middle of a forest somewhere and the only thing around you besides the other person you're with is deer and moose and raccoons and skunks and that's what's there they're not really great known for medical intervention no I think we need to give them some seizure first aid advice uh, <laughs> get the raccoons get the raccoons up to scratch <laughs> I was gonna say something so serious I'm sorry <laughs> oh that was brilliant raccoons up to scratch those things are so mean and they scratch <laughs> that was brilliant <laughs> but on on a serious note Yes. On a serious note, um, it, it is important when we're doing, when we're on adventures, when we're doing adventure sports, 
something that becomes so integral is that trust that you have in other people isn't it so oh absolutely so it's it's really telling and it's really interesting that when you are doing those adventures was the time that you felt comfortable to talk about your epilepsy um out of necessity but I'm assuming that nobody refused to camp with you or refused to hike with you not that I know of (laughs) (laughs) no no nobody said oh well now you can't come along and I've had one circumstance where I was turned down for an event hiking um, because of my epilepsy, but I, other than that, it, it's never been that someone said, well, no, you can't, like in a personal context. When I was in school, that happened back then too, um, that I couldn't do certain sports or go camping with um, the classes and stuff for the physical education classes, but not since being an adult and not, not that I know of at least. Yeah, it's, um, it is good to hear though. It's a good, it's good to remember that we, we have responsibility for ourselves, but we do have responsibility to the others that we're doing stuff with as well. And that, that involves letting them know about anything that they're responsible for with us as well you're you're all looking after each other oh absolutely I mean if somebody had an injury while we were camping I wouldn't just be like oh well you didn't tell me you were gonna like cut your arm open I um I'm not gonna help you out with that so of course it's just about giving everybody the preparation the heads up kind of that this could be an issue and we all know all of the injuries that could happen camping unfortunately usually involving chopping firewood and we've all seen them at some point but it's just another thing we all have a first aid kit yeah I think the um the best thing that I had from a, an organized hike at the the guy that was organizing the hike, I told him about my epilepsy and he said to me, yeah, I wouldn't be worried about that myself. The thing I'm most worried about is somebody getting stung by a bee. Oh, exactly. Like that's, I've hiked with people who have had um, EpiPens in their running belts. And before we started the run, they would show me, you know, this is how you, what you do if I go into shock. Yeah. And that's just how it is. It's yeah our conditions are the same thing that's it I hope we can get to the stage where you know epilepsy is seen in in exactly the same way as as anaphylaxis it's something that you just you know happens and you know what to do um I hope I agree if there is anyone who is listening to this who is struggling with their epilepsy at the moment, or perhaps they've been recently diagnosed, what would you say to them? I would say that epilepsy is an inconvenience. We weren't given the choice about it, and you can either accept it or fight it or hide it. We, we have the ability to move forward, with, with the condition and still accomplish incredible things. Your condition does not make you any less worthy. You have every right to still have your dreams and your goals. And when you're ready, 
on your terms, the courage to start. If you if you could say something to either race organizers or or employees, in fact, um, just just help them understand the condition a bit. What would you say? Google does not have all the answers. So if somebody tells you that they have epilepsy or seizures, don't go online to Google and try to find out what the triggers are and the seizures are and the causes are and everything about it that way. Ask the person individually because that person is the one who lives with it. They're going to know what they have for triggers or for auras and what they need as support. They're the ones who are going to be able to tell you what they need for support. Don't look it up online and don't count on anyone else you've ever known with epilepsy because it is different for each and every person. And while sometimes it can act up, which is similar to other conditions where it'll flare up and you'll have a cluster seizures or, you know, a bad week or month, that doesn't mean that it's going to be that way all the time. Again, always talk to the person, the actual, the employee or the runner themselves. They're going to know themselves the best. Beautiful. Thank you. I'm going to be using that uh, a lot. <laughs> Absolutely. That's something I could scream from a rooftop. Here I go On my way to where the wild things grow And I know There'll be good times, bad times on the road Where the wild things grow Chatting to Amanda was so much fun, as you can hear, and it does make me really sad that there is an ocean between us, because I just want to go for a run with her, uh, preferably in the backwoods, hopefully without any bears. I am sure we'll be hearing more from her in the future in the podcast, but if you would like to keep up with her adventures, don't forget she has her own blog, Tremors of My World, and you can see what she's up to on there. If you liked today's episode, please do share it around wherever you social media. You can find the podcast at SY Adventurers on all platforms. And if you do want to hear some of the outtakes to this episode, including my opinion on half pints, I have a cunning plan that I'm hoping to reveal later in the year for you. So stay tuned for that one. The music in this episode was again by Kev Rowe from SoundCloud. And I just wanted to finish this episode with one of those tangents that I had with Amanda. One of the things about epilepsy is that it affects everyone differently. What may be a trigger for one person isn't necessarily going to trigger seizures in someone else. And whilst it is a bit off the topic of adventure, I think this small part of the conversation is actually quite important for you to hear. Oh, I feel like we have so much to talk about and like without just going on and on, I don't think we're going to be able to fit it all in. We'll just have to speak to each other again um, is, is the answer, I think. I feel like I really would love to find a way to incorporate that I drink. The, okay, so that sounds really stupid, but it's it's because everybody has different triggers and different experiences with things like alcohol. It is not one of my triggers. And if it was, I'd spend a lot more time in the hospital. And like, 
I, I just want to like say like we you everybody's so different with our condition yeah and so to have that like if you google things not to do if you're epileptic mm. it's like drinking is one of them and it's like that isn't a necessarily a thing it, it it's those preconceived notions that we have like so many people have about what it means and so that's the same thing with yes sometimes I like going to the bar and have a few drinks and I'm like I have to figure out a way that I can say that I'm trying to advocate for alcohol but like just the idea that you can't go out you, you can't do these th this is just one mm -hmm. other thing that's could be added to the things you can't do in life so if you ever do see me in the pub, please do buy me a drink because I would very much yeah. appreciate it. <laughs> I will like cheers to that. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh yeah, for sure. So, okay. So now that we've gotten off topic again, as we do. <laughs> right. Thank you very much for listening. If you do see me in a pub, mine is going to be a half pint of lager. And until next time, safe adventures, everyone. This podcast is part of the Tremula Network, adventure and outdoor podcasts off the beaten track. To find out more, head to tremula.network.